I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Hello humans, welcome to the M-Word podcast brought to you by Martin, that's me and Matt. That's him over there. Hi Matt. Martin. We have three lovely guests with us. Would you like to in- introduce so people can pick up the voices I guess as we chat through the conversation? I was going to say go around in a circle but no one can see who, who's who. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, yeah, so I'm Hafiza, um and I'm in, uh, well, on the Isle of Man like everyone else. <laughs> I'm Catherine. Um, I'm 22 from the Isle of Man, and I'm yeah based here at the moment, just hanging out for a couple more weeks until I brave the trip back to England. <laughs> um, and I'm Elsa. I'm also from the Isle of Man. I've just left the Isle of Man recently, sadly, but I'm now back in sunny Spain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I kind of base myself between the two. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks. So, so maybe I'll just set the scene for for for, for our listeners to start with. Uh, we're here to talk about ultimately about racism and, and the issues around that. What I thought might be helpful was just to set the scene, how this came about initially, I guess. And it, certainly from my perspective and certainly chatting with Matty, uh, I think it became on our radar to have a conversation more so, I guess, after the incident on the local radio station. You know, I listened to it myself. Uh, and shortly thereafter, I saw a post on, on social media from Catherine. So Catherine, we and it, in a roundabout way, you know, through from uh, episode 26, when we chatted to your brother uh, mm-hmm. about his sport and achievements, and you were certainly on our radar to have that conversation as well with. And when I saw your post as well, I thought it was, it was an opportunity to sit down and, and, and have a discussion. Uh, I think when personally, when I spoke to people, and, and Matt as well, spoke to people about having a conversation about this, I think there's an element of caution from people of it's a hot topic. But yeah, certainly. Yeah, but the conclusion I came to was uh, you can't or I shouldn't, I personally, I can't speak for Matt, but personally shouldn't be afraid to have the conversation because if I am, then there's a problem there in itself. So Yeah, uh, that's kind of what we encourage is that like you got to be brave enough to have this conversation yeah. to start the change. Um, yeah. yeah, you've got to be, you've got to like start getting comfortable with this idea that not everything is comfortable in life and yeah. It's kind of like the final frontier, I guess, in a way. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So we're hoping, as we just chatted before we came on there, about, you know, for me and Matt, I'm sure it's, it's education for, for us listeners and uh, everyone else. So hopefully that just, uh, I mean, f- from a perspective, I've been brought up on the Isle of Man. I haven't come up in a particularly diverse environment. That's good or bad. It's not really important, but uh, that, I think, maybe just sets the scene for where we are as a, podcast and why we why we particularly would want to talk about it so uh perhaps f- you mentioned at the start there where you're at at the moment perhaps in regard to the discussion around the group you have set up on facebook can you maybe just set the scene there and how that came about um yeah um i'll take i'll take the first part of this one then girls you jump in if you feel i've missed yeah. anything so basically our group formed back about four or five months ago um it was around like you mentioned the whole 
comments on the radio and then obviously just the general Black Lives Matter movement. I think we all kind of like stumbled into each other through, I feel like we really had like one or two like mutual friends within what now is our group. And we just all kind of stumbled into each other and were like, we're all collectively angry about this and want to do something about this and want to raise awareness about this. And that's kind of how POC IOM forms. Like we literally started off just saying that we wanted to be like a group on, well, a social media platform yeah. so we started with our twitter and then our instagram just about like educating people so the goal was what we envisaged was kind of like posting content educational content and just like seeing where we went with that and like <laughs> the last like four or five months has just been the wild crazy like, like it's just been absolutely insane how it's grown so i think like we started um just mainly on social media because a lot of the stuff a lot of the comments that were going on and a lot of the conversations were being had on um social media like on twitter on facebook on instagram um and we needed to we found that we needed to be part of that conversation and like mm-hmm. even though we were part of it as individuals we generally generally saw that we needed to kind of had some sort of like central point where people could like ask not ask for information but kind of have like a a starting point about where to go where to look for information um and just know like which routes to go down and what information is the correct one what's reputable sources and evidence um and stuff like that so it went from being something that we thought was going to be very social media based um to it just kind of growing and snowballing and now like we're in schools where um you know being involved with loads of different groups across the island loads of different communities are getting involved as well and like wanting us to come in um do presentations or just have like a chat about what it is about how to have these conversations and so it, the last few months has been insane in terms of mm-hmm. the way it's grown yeah i think we were super lucky sorry on the Arab man because like although we started off as like a social media platform like us were through our contacts and us were, like our friends and family they really wanted to get involved and they really wanted to make this into like yeah. some sort of movement on the island so we've been super lucky in the sense that we've been able to get into places that maybe if we were based in like the UK or in Spain or in other countries we wouldn't have been able to get into which mm-hmm. is why it's quite nice that we're able to go into schools go to like, mm-hmm. government buildings have like mm-hmm. events and that's kind of like how how we were able to grow so quickly and so successfully and i mean later on we'll come on to your interaction with racism that you've seen on the island but with regard to this sort of within the last few months and, and i saw something recently in the press i think you were talking to the police in regard to meeting these these going into schools etc are the things within there that have surprised you that that's you know the way people are thinking now or or is it well this is what we kind of thought there's this still there is this education or there, maybe people there is more education than we realize but we need to make it better um i think personally i don't i don't think anything that we've come across has come across as a surprise i think that that's sad that it hasn't come across as a surprise um i think a lot of people that maybe haven't been through um racist incidences or had racism throughout their lives might find it quite surprising and might be completely like shocked um to hear about what's what goes on and actually what's still happening on like a day-to-day basis but for me personally it wasn't a surprise um 
the kinds of attitudes um and and education level etc like that wasn't really a surprise for me going into things so I think we had quite an honest um view before we went into it which was really really good I think if we'd gone in um (laughs) with rose-colored glasses it would have been a huge eye-opener and I think it has been for some people um the fact that we're now being so open about it and actually calling people out so not so often but a lot more than I think I would have done if it was just me on my own yeah, no, I agree. It's nice to have like the support of everyone else in the group. So we kind of like we bounce off each other, which is nice. But it's like kind of what's sad is how little has changed. So we've interviewed someone that grew up in like the eighties, was it? So that grew up in the eighties. Uh, well, yeah, he's in he's in his fifties, mid fifties oh, now. So, so like seventies, eighties. And then we interviewed like so he's a guy, um, a mixed race man, and then we interviewed or well, we talked to like the guys in our group who are who grew up like in the 2000s and nothing has changed. And then like speaking to young kids today, young black kids today, that's, that's kind of the sad thing is that, that like yeah. the fact that we do actually need a group like this. Cause sometimes, cause I guess like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm in a nice little bubble where like a lot of my friends now can like openly talk about race, openly kind of like, discuss a topic, no kind of what's okay, what's not okay kind of mm. like acting anti-racist but then knowing that that there's still this underlying systemic racism that's still occurring on the alpha man that's kind of yeah. like the, <laughs> the it's, it's interesting that you say that Elsa because I like definitely find that I can talk there are some of my friends that I know that I can talk to about race and have an open conversation yeah. but all yeah. of those friends are my friends that are away from Ireland like none uh-huh. of my friends yeah. on the island are open to having this conversation and I think yeah. uh, as you said earlier Martin like the Isle of Man is not a culturally diverse place. And I think that really like um, fuels this idea yeah. that like race isn't something that we talk about because it's not something that we necessarily have to deal with on a daily basis. So it is quite interesting, I think, from that point of view. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a 50-50 split. Like I've got some friends that now, like I'm happy just to be like, yeah, and this happens. It's because of this. Like, have you not seen that, like, for example, like plastics, like you can't find stuff because of racism because you can't because like yeah. because white is the default and everything else isn't so I've got some friends I'm comfortable having this conversation with and I've got others that like that like want to like exit the room <laughs> I've like cornered them in <laughs> but I'm like you're my friend you have to listen <laughs> so, so it's a really interesting comment that about the the plaster aspect because I want to come on to in a moment about again in, in reading myself about uh I suppose language that's used and things and, and observations that you just don't see as a white person. That mm-hmm. so I will come on to that in just a moment. What I quickly want to do, and again for for I suppose for listeners, when you look at uh, Black history in general, uh, I just kind of want to skim through the a very high level of from. But when I come on to points later on that I kind of educate myself, where whether whether it's the right education, we'll, we'll soon find out. But. Uh, feed into that feed into that point of why this structural and systemic racism around that a lot of people don't realize mm-hmm. so we talk we go back to the slavery the civil war the rosa parks incident which i believe was relating to sit, just sitting on a bus and not being allowed to yeah. sit in places on a bus mm-hmm. uh to then the black power movement which was i think 60s 70s uh where where 
uh, and obviously Martin Luther King around that, which uh, a name that I'm not sure everyone always heard of, into Rodney King, the LA riots. Uh, and really, is, is anything different from that, I guess, from what happened to uh, George Floyd more recently with yeah. police uh, brutality, I, I guess. <laughs> so it, it was out of that really brings us to present day and the, 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 the problems we want to talk about that are out there. And yeah. what I found quite interesting when I see commentary from, so initially you might see commentary around uh, statements like Black Lives Matter. Now, you then see statements from other people going, well, White Lives Matter. What happens, and I read an article of yours, Catherine, that talked about uh, the, uh, it said, well, I'll read it because it, it's, it's on a local press. It talks, I think the important thing to remember is Black Lives Matter is not politics or an argument to be had. Yeah. And that when yeah. that statement sort of rang with me when I, when I think about the context of a statement of Black Lives Matter and then someone says back, well, so do white, the point you have to go back and step back and go, look, this is an argument about other lives aren't mattering. This is about yeah. focus on this, right. not this. And I see that again with celebrities who perhaps, uh, you know, a famous uh, driver who's very much into the movement. And mm-hmm. uh, But you'll see people commenting about, how hypocritical of him because he doesn't pay tax and he's associated with this brand which is associated over here and it just seems to completely devalue the point of what the the, the thing is and i assume that gets very frustrating yeah <laughs> i think i think Some like, of this deflection i don't know why it's just like one of those things where like so the the whole term black lives matter like, like i said it's not politics it's not it's not an argument it's it's genuinely just like i'm sure like I know it was circulating around a lot. There's the cartoon of the house being on fire and someone's like, go quick, get a hose. Like I need to put this fire out. And someone's like, oh, well, my house is fine, but let's pay some attention to that house. Like, no, like if everything in your arena is okay, you need to pay attention to the arenas that aren't doing okay. And that's obviously where like the whole Black Lives Matter thing comes because at the moment to a lot of people and to the, like you mentioned earlier about um system systemic and institutional racism like in those arenas like black lives really don't matter and that's why there's this push behind the movement yeah Um, i think what's important about the phrase as well is to remember that like it doesn't um say only black lives matter and i think that people get mixed up and think that um when people are behind the movement um are behind saying black lives matter more than other lives um and that just that just simply is not true but at the moment what we're seeing is they're not on the same playing field and that's what we're trying to get to we're trying to get to where black lives matter as much as white lives matter in the wider context of things Um, and obviously just for context of the listeners i'm not black so i'm um south african of indian descent and so the racism that i face is well similar to racism that um, a black person would go through or um, a mixed race person would go through it is it is slightly different um, and my family grew up in so my parents we were talking about kind of structural racism and systemic racism and my parents grew up in the um, apartheid era so they had very very recently like not just when I think when people t- talk about segregation they immediately go back to America and they say oh well this was so long ago like you should be over it now and I'm doing air quotes and all that kind of stuff but um you know my parents grew up in places where they weren't allowed to go to 
um, certain schools because they weren't white. Um, they uh, and again, they weren't allowed to go to other schools because they weren't black. Um, and then they weren't allowed to use like parks. They weren't allowed to live in certain areas. And that was only abolished really quite recently. So within my lifetime, um, and my partner, he like we're both from South Africa. So he has grown up in kind of just still having that within um, the country and being so recent. Um, and so I think that it's really good to look at the history behind the Black Lives Matter movement, um, but to also just be aware that it's not just, racism isn't just something that happens in America and it's not an American issue. And I think that that's part of what the comments that happened on um, the radio station stemmed from is what people were like, well, this is an American issue. Why are we bringing it to the Isle of Man? Why are we protesting or standing behind it? And that really wasn't, like, the point of it was completely missed. Um, it's that it's a, it's a global issue. Um, and you are allowed to show support for other people in other countries. Like, you're not, not allowed to do that. That's fine. And also, we, we, we focus a lot on, for example, the slavery in America, the civil rights movement in America. However, we forget that that movement was also happening in the UK, right? We had like mm-hmm. the Windrush generation, we had our own version of Black Panthers, we had the Bristol bus um, boycott, we had like riot, the Brixton riots in the 80s, we had people being kicked out of where they live, we had Stephen Lawrence, there's so much that went on in the UK and the Isle of Man. In fact, like the last, the last slave ship that left um, Liverpool was captained by a guy from the Isle of Man, so our connection to racism, to systemic racism, to the slave trade is very, very kind of profound and is there. And I think we're very quick to say, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't happen here. It just happens in the US or it just, it doesn't happen here, it mm-hmm. happens across the ocean. And we forget that, that it is connected. We're all connected. Like the, the systems that are built in, in the US stem from the UK and Britain and sadly includes the Isle of Man in that. And I think that's where lots of people become like defensive about it. And I think that's where like all lives matter kind of comes in is the fact that people do get very defensive because I've forgotten who said it. I think it was Robin D'Angelo. She said that like in general, people don't like to be grouped together. We like to be seen as individuals. Uh And then saying that like essentially like the idea that, that we're blaming it on someone else kind of like makes the other person kind of like defensive about it, if you get what I'm saying. I absolutely, and, and interestingly, just on that subject, because it does, uh, I, I see a perception, and it might just be me of everyone else in the world, when we talk about that and the term white privilege, it's like an attack, or I think people see that as an attack. Yeah. That, yeah. What? And, and again, we, I, I don't really, I'm not particularly drawn into talking about that conversation on the on the radio, but when, the comments have been made and you hear it elsewhere about well you know if i'm a white person i was brought up in a deprived area i still made it i'm no more privileged than, than the person yeah. next mm-hmm. to me but so what, what i want to do is i suppose in educating myself is look, try and understand the context of that uh that 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 white privilege comment so what i did when i was doing my research i just want to read some articles uh read some lines from an article i read from very well mind which gives examples of racism that as a white person and having read them i don't see them until i read them and then go oh yeah so it's more about it's not about it's more about you not realizing that that racism is going on and that seems to me uh, in my learning curve that the the, the 
the area of, that, of understanding of white people need to understand that that that's there. So if I maybe just read some examples, because I, I think they certainly set the scene. I think you've got three or four. I appreciate people don't want to hear me particularly. but uh, <laughs> So it talks about uh, white privilege and it says, it gives you some examples. So it, said, it says here, uh, if you walk into a store, uh, do you assume that employees might be looking at you because they think you're going to steal something because you can't afford it? Again, probably not. As a white man, these yeah. kinds of things exist. And that's because I'm afforded white privilege. Now, I don't see that because I don't feel it, but you do. Understanding that is, is I think, really important. Yeah. Uh, another one is, if you're a white person reading a magazine, watching TV, a movie, do you find yourself wondering why none of the characters or people look like you? If not, then that's an example of white privilege. Well, if they do look like you, there's a big like kerfuffle about it like look at like um the little mermaid and like tinkerbell so like the little yeah. mermaid's gonna be played by um a black woman called hallie i forgot to say hallie bailey and yeah. tinkerbell's gonna be played by yara shahidi and the uproar the uproar when it's like it she's was not crazy. a little mermaid exactly i was like and this like, is about a cartoon character like it's yeah. literally <laughs> yeah and every time like a miss world or a miss universe is won by someone who's black or mixed race or like Miss France, for example, there was a huge uproar that someone that was not white could win, saying like, she does not represent my country. Whereas if it was the other way around, like if it was just like uh, a white girl that won it, there'd be no issue. If it was just a, uh, a ginger girl that got the part of area, like there'll be, it will be a non-issue. But it's because yeah. it's color that there's a massive like uproar about it. And I think like something that I noticed as well, like I think Marta is really like interesting that you brought that up about like obviously like white people often having characters and et cetera that look like them. Like, cause I remember growing up, like whenever there was a black or like mixed race person on TV, cause like think when I was younger, I used to watch like CBBC and all mm. that stuff. I feel like the black kids were always the troublemakers and the ones that yes. were getting into trouble or like obviously in movies like the black people with the criminals or the robbers or the the thugs or the you know the mm. the gang of black men that beat up the poor defenseless white lady yeah. and like so it's black, it's not yeah. even just like oh there aren't people that look like me it's when there are people that look like me they're, they're, they're a deviant bad. Yeah, and like <laughs> there's been like this recent like increase of having muslim characters in shows so there'll usually be a girl that is like wearing a headscarf and by the end of the show she's like will have been liberated by taking off her headscarf <laughs> and that is like the worst yeah. thing in my like that is so annoying because i'm like literally like it's insane like i saw a show where there was like a Muslim family and literally like the dad walked around everywhere with like a prayer mat on his back and I was like this is no one does this like, no one in life does this like not like rolled up on their back and just like walking through chat this doesn't happen like yeah. you just, if you need to pray you just go and pray like it doesn't you don't have to have you don't have to have a special place like you can pray wherever um and like the the headscarf thing like that for me is just insane because like literally everything they're like oh now i can live my life and now i'm free because i don't have to wear this and i'm like this is so crazy because like my own experience is i didn't wear it and then i went to uni and i was like okay i'm gonna start wearing it and then i took it off and then i started wearing it again but literally like my parents like people in the shows it's always like oh their parents have said they have to wear this and their parents have said that and like my parents have done none of that like 
mm-hmm. because that's not what it means to be like a Muslim person. Like you don't force someone into it. It's your own choice. But in these shows and these examples that we're seeing, so as a kid growing up, these examples that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. There's like, you know, a black character or there's a brown character or a Muslim character or a mixed race character. You're like, you're so excited. And then you see the storyline and you're like, oh no. And like, it's always the same storyline or the same few storylines. And that gets so frustrating. Can I ask a question there? You mentioned about not wearing the headscarf. Was there a reason for that? Is there a reason for not You didn't wearing? wear it. I got the impression. Oh, I you, just, yeah. So I had it. So I didn't wear it when I was growing up. So I, I didn't wear it because I just didn't want to. Okay. Um, and like, I was, I was just too young. Like I didn't understand really what it was about or why I would have been doing it. Um, and I was too young. Like you can't tell like a kid to wear it because they just don't understand the point behind it. And then when I went to uni, um, I understood it a lot better and I decided to put on, um, and then I took it off again. So there was like a gap. There was a point of maybe about a year, a year and a half where I didn't. Um, and that decision was, I just didn't feel like me. I felt a bit lost. And like, I was like, mm, I'm not sure what it is. And plus I was moving back to the island and I didn't feel comfortable wearing it when I was on the island. Um, yeah. And then that was the I point just I kind of said, I wondered if that was one of the reasons. Yeah. <laughs> and again, that I, again, as an observer and someone learning, I'd again said that was a, a white privilege point because if I want to wear a cap, I don't think yeah. twice about it because I'm, you know, my color of my skin isn't affected to that. But that, that seems again a correlation of something, an emotion that I will never feel and therefore don't understand. And I guess that's again part of that white privilege. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a couple of others that again I read out, if you don't mind. So when we talk about parenting, it says, imagine you're a white parent raising your child. Uh, to go out in the world, do you feel the need to teach your child about how they might be discriminated against because of the colour of the skin? If mm. not, that is an example of white privilege. And again, obviously, again, the context that we, me, white person, wouldn't think. And I think, again, when we just talk about using that white privilege, again, it feels like an attack. It's not, if people feel mm. that way. And again, I can't speak for other people, but it's, it's not about that. It's about understanding what you don't see. And I suppose that's yeah. the challenge that you guys are out trying to educate people about. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So the Isle of Man, there's a survey done recently, which I'll come on to. Uh, but can I perhaps get some, uh, or if you don't mind sharing your experiences of the Isle of Man, where you've come and where you've confronted racism? Because I think there's people who believe there isn't any. I think people believe yeah. there's only a tiny little bit. And uh, not we're not here to call people out, but just to give a, yeah, an idea that it is around and it's so funny because people i think like people ask us this question and they kind of think like we're we the three of us are just sat here now like where to begin like (laughs) Like, literally like you want during school do you want the workplace do you want i was like do i just say the recent ones that have happened like i was like do i just include this year or do i like go back from like school time i think i think mate i mean to talk about not that children shouldn't be but maybe when people are less educated when they're youth, but as maybe oh, yeah, yeah. more recent cases where you where you like to think you're in the general world. And for not, so part of the reason to go back to the very start of our podcast and my comment, my opening line, which we've done since day one, which is hello humans, which has always been about and capturing everyone because everyone, everyone in the world's different. And then you've got different religions, different. And that's about capturing everyone. 
So you yeah, like yeah. to think somewhere as people grow up, they get to that age where we're all humans and that's kind of really the line of is to capture yeah. everyone because there shouldn't be any divides because if we attack from someone on another planet, we wouldn't be looking at colour, religion, uh, nationality. We'd all be stood side by side trying to fight them off. So mm. these divides, and that's part of the reason for it. So I like to think when people get into <laughs> into their more educated, older, wiser years that there's less racism from them. So I think if you could maybe, again, give some examples of where you see it from the not mature generation, but people not in school, I guess. I can, I can see not one, well, not acceptable uneducated yeah. school children easily i think, I think um i don't want to speak for the other girls because at this point i feel like we know like each other's like racial stories like very deeply but i think like it's interesting that you say like oh outside of school um because yeah outside of school because i actually face like quite a lot of quite a lot of what i would call racism like from my teachers within school like okay. obviously right. like you guys have spoken to my brother and you yeah. know that i'm an athlete and like I remember having a conversation with um, my sixth, like one of my um, form tutors and um, she was like, it was like a careers day and she was like, okay, everyone like within your tables, discuss like what you want to do as a job um, and then like come up to me and we'll speak about it and talk about like um, quantitative steps on how to get there basically. So obviously it's, uh, I want to like, so someone says, oh, I want to become a lawyer. She says, okay, you need to go to uni and do this and do this and do this and then you're a lawyer. And then I remember going up and sitting with her and I was like, oh, I want to be a professional athlete. And she like genuinely looked me up and down and she was like, yeah, people from a background like yours don't have many other options. And I was like, uh, wow. not the fact that I'm like good at what I do. And like, you know, like at the time I was actually like the best in the world. I was actually like, yeah, my skin color is the only reason why I'd want to become an athlete. Yeah, sure. Not your, like, not your training, not your look yeah. rate, not, not <laughs> any of that. Yeah. <laughs> and again, yeah. I, I guess though those comments are born out of poor understanding. Yeah, it's just like it's just shit ignorance, really. Like again, like the whole stereotyping thing. Look at a black person, you think, oh, they're either going to be like a thug, a rapper, or a sports person because they can't be anything else. Like, yeah. and then be surprised <laughs> when they are. Yeah. yeah, it's that surprise part as well. It's mm-hmm. a surprise. Of, that, yeah. I so, like, yeah, you go first. Go on, Elsa. No, it's fine. I was going to say, my, my sporting experience um, is like not that similar to Catherine's because my sport is one that's not really done as by as many like, like black folk in general because I, I'm like quite a good swimmer and I used to like enter like lots and lots of like swimming competitions whilst I was on the island. So I remember I entered one in Port St. Mary. And I just got out of the pool. No, just got out of the sea, sorry. And I was in a pub. And then this guy obviously saw me and my mum. And were like, well, obviously first didn't believe that my mum was my mum because she was white. And then was like, was like, oh, why are you guys down here? And then she's like, oh, we were like, oh, for a swimming race. She's like, wait, who? And I was like, me. And he was like, what? Like, you can swim like literally shocked that he's like he's like he's like but you can't swim because like black people um they sink because of the follicles in their bones a eh? like bone it still surprises me he's like yeah the no, balance like, like, racism just stupidity it's just like the shock but like i've heard this this like stereotype so many times like black people can't swim and like does this day like i remember always being like the only black girl at every heat 
and and like also being like mocked down and not being entered into competitions that I knew that I could probably win because like they just didn't believe that I would be able to yeah. because of the color of my skin <laughs> essentially <laughs> so yeah yeah so like sorry (laughs) so my recent ones are well if we go according to this year so earlier this year i decided to run for or stand for mlc and the isle of man um which was like i have like a research background and i'm quite an analytic person and like i um do like postgraduate research and was doing my phd and stuff like that and it was really something I was super excited about. I was like, you know what, like our tin world um, and our governing bodies kind of need some fresh eyes, fresh people, fresh perspectives. And, you know, they were all for, yes, we definitely do need people that are fresh, that don't really have like, aren't tainted by the, or jaded rather by the, uh, the view of politics and and you know and and younger people as well to want to get involved um and know the issues that are going to be coming up because of the younger generation etc all of that so anyway i put my name forward and immediately immediately when my name was announced that i was nominated there was like a whole slew of backlash back not backlash backlash <laughs> um and it was honestly just so overwhelming so pretty much immediately um there was posts on uh i don't know can we say website names <laughs> but there was there was a post on what yeah there's a post on um on mang's forums which which i know isn't the best place in the world um but it the the title of the post was muslim nominated for mlc and that was it and it was just talking about me it wasn't wasn't about anything to do with with my qualifications wasn't about my ability wasn't about anything like that it was just the fact that i was a muslim person and how dare i think that i could run um or stand for something like this um it was you know it was like well she wasn't even born here which is true, but I moved here in 2001. Um, so I was eight years old when I moved here and I've lived on the Isle of Man my entire life. I've worked at the hospital. Um, I've contributed to the healthcare. I've worked here. I pay taxes. I've lived here. This is my home. Uh, you know, I mean, so, I, think, I think the reality is you, you shouldn't even be a musician. You need to have say. I, I w- I, I, exactly. I shouldn't, I shouldn't mean, have to yeah. and you, you defend see it. mainstream media that, uh, the, the language is is you know again i don't profess yeah. to be wonderful at language in general but just the the uh white cop shoots black man yeah i mean just yeah, that, yeah. that in just itself that, and you're like that's, that's just an insane that. like a corrupt cop or a cop doing something wrong yeah it's immediate the race is the headline yeah um and it was and it was you know just and then i had people that were like sending me personal messages like on social media i had people brazen enough to come up to me and like say comments like in the street like why are you doing this um i had there was one person that commented about something about how like there's not going to be allowed to have any like toilet paper in Tinwald anymore because apparently Muslim people don't use toilet paper. I was like, I really don't understand where this has come from. <laughs> like, I re- genuinely have no idea. Um, and so that was recently. So that was, I want to say maybe Feb, March time. Um, and then very, very recently, um, maybe last week or so, there was an article out about how we're possibly like the Islamic community is 
put planning permission forward to have a new Islamic center because the community is growing and we want to be able to accommodate everyone. And some of the comments on that and some of the backlash about that has been crazy as well. Yeah, somebody mentioned that at work today. Like it, it sickens me, like the Islamophobia that there is in the end. It's like the ignorance around Islam. Like yeah. stress, it, it generally stresses me out. There's like <laughs> 1.3 billion of you, like 1.3 billion Muslims of you, Muslims like in the world, like that, that believe in, in Islam and to, to like, be like, they're all terrorists. Yeah. Like, like it's crazy. No -go zone. Like I'm sorry, but like half the world would be a no-go zone. Like there was one comment that was like, it was like, it was like Look what's happened to Bolton. And I was like, <laughs> I'm, still Bradford. And I was like oh, I'm sure you can still go to Bolton, Bradford. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember, so when we moved over here, so it was 2001, and obviously that's when 9 11 happened, which was such a tr like devastating event in the world, so traumatic. Um, and ironically that's my birthday so I was like this is this is crazy um and then we went back to South Africa on holiday um after that and it was really interesting because I was too young to understand what was going on and my dad I remember my dad um at the end of the flight being really really upset um and me and my brother were like oh what like why is dad upset like what what's happened um and he was like and he was like did you not notice it and he was talking to my mum and what had happened on the flight was everyone that had had a muslim meal um were given plastic cutlery and everyone that wasn't a muslim meal were given metal cutlery um and he picked up on that and i obviously didn't i was a kid i must have been about nine years old um and you know that's an, an adult somewhere has made that decision on a plane to be able to do that and to just generalize a whole group of people and just give them, you know, create a separation. And then when I went, I was going on a school trip and I went through America and obviously he looked at my, the passport control looked at my passport and was like, oh, why are you born on this day? And I was like, I literally have no control over this. <laughs> like, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure why. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. And like one of my teachers, I was really glad that one of my teachers was with me. Um, and they were like, listen, she's a kid. Like, she's not going to have to explain this to you. Like you're an adult. Um, and that was the first like experience I think of me going out into a different country without my parents. And like, for me, I think it's just, it's so much part of life that when you like people ask oh what are some of the examples and stuff like that it's so it's so difficult to go back and pick out examples that yeah. are not meaningful but examples that people are going to think are bad enough to warrant having a conversation yeah. about racism and that's really sad because one of the things I think I learned throughout this journey of myself educating myself about racism and educating myself about how to be um better and how to you know call people out more and how to be a better ally um with my black friends and my mixed race friends because they are obviously going through something that I'm not going through and for me to be able to do that um in in terms of being there and supporting them in a way that they need not a way that I feel comfortable with or I feel like that's I'm doing my bit now and I want to feel good. It's not about me. It's about them. And what I learned is throughout our lives, we're not taught 
that racism is bad. We're taught that actions are bad. So when racism results in violence, people can accept that that's bad because everyone's taught that violence is bad. When racism ends in um, slurs or swearing, emotional trauma. Yeah, we can accept that that's bad because we're taught those things are bad, but we're not taught the beginning point that being racist is a bad thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. So just to expand a little bit on the, and again, talking about the Isle of Man, I found a survey uh, that was done. I'm sure you've come across it in in what you've been pushing out on, on POC as well. But I just wanted to pick out some stats to kind of jump out at me and then we can have a quick chat about them. So they, they did a survey about racism on the Isle of Man. And one of the, or a few of the, so the results came out, one of them is 41% of people think that changes are still needed to give all racial and ethnic groups equal rights on the island. So the question they kind of posed when I read that is what the other 59 are thinking? Yeah. So. It's, it's interesting for us because like, so the results of the survey, I think, do, do you know what? And I don't think I've even said this to you yet, girls, but the, the only reason I'm shocked is because people haven't been honest because I know way more people are racist. Like, I don't know if you guys looked at the results and stuff. Because so, I think it's interesting because so many people have come up to me and said, like, because they know I'm involved with POC and they're like, wow, those stats have really shocked me. And I'm like, those numbers are mad low. Like, because, like, what I've experienced and what I see and what I go through on a day-to-day basis, like, the numbers are too low. Like, I'm not actually sure how many... Um, well, I'm speaking for myself, but I... I as a person of color, I wasn't actually asked to do that survey or it wasn't cir- circulated to POC. Oh yeah, true. Um, we didn't get that. Yeah, so... It I'm, might be a 19 survey. I could, I could uh, to be honest, in fairness to the survey. Um, I think it's I think it's one that... I, I think I know which one it is. Um, it's the, the islands. So it was racism across the islands. I think it's called Island Research mm. or something like that. So it was looking at racism on, on the Isle of Man, Guernsey and Jersey. I believe is what I read, but this, so I'm not sure where the numbers are coming from um, because no one that I've spoken to that's a person of color on the Isle of Man has actually filled that survey out. So I, I don't know if I don't know, like I've not spoken to the group about it. So I don't know um, if anyone in the group has spoken to someone that's filled out that survey, which I think is a really interesting point to make because who has filled out the survey? (laughs) I didn't know about the survey. I didn't know about the survey until the results got handed to us. I'm like, oh, there was a survey. Interesting. Like, we had no idea, and like, no one that I know had any idea. <laughs> like, no one talked to me about it, or like, no one, no one talked to us about it. So, so like, so, that's interesting. To say. I'd like to see who filled out that survey. Was it people of color? Was it white people? Was it a mix? Like, I, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so when another of the questions they had in there, it says, to what extent do you think racism exists in your island today? Which obviously implies it was the Guernsey, Jersey Channel yeah. Island. Yeah. And they said, uh, so I appreciate it's, it's, well, I don't appreciate it, but it's broader than the Isle of Man, but the, I'm sure the context is completely the same across. Yeah, across definitely. So I, it, I'd imagine so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, So it falls into four categories of a great deal, to some extent, not very much, not at all. So just, just looking at those four categories, uh, would your observation be there's a great deal or yeah I, yeah so that a, was lot of it is, a lot of it is underlying so a lot of it is not yeah. what you would call overt racism so it's not the the violent not like the george floyd incident yeah yeah where yeah. you know it's like cops doing that or yeah it's, it's passable racism i think that's what i like to call it it's like racism that you're not going to get in too much trouble for okay. how about 
yeah like I think on the the form sorry the info that we gave you I think we mentioned the term like microaggression and things like that it's it's more so like those things that we see but like they really are like a daily basis kind of issue like a thousand mosquito bites (laughs) can you give some examples of what you see of them oh I can microaggressions I can can tell you about one that happened to me literally like the other week when I was on the hour of man which was (laughs) that I got I told you guys about it now that I got mistaken yeah 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 yeah. mistaken I got mistaken for someone. I was in, I was in, I was in a school, and this person was like, "Oh, do I know you?" And I was like, "I don't know. It's the hour of mine. You could know me." And then they're like, "Like, oh, um, I don't know. I think I know you." Oh wait, no, it's okay. Um, my sister's black. It's fine. And I was like, "Okay, this is kind of weird." And she's like, "Yeah, so my sister, um, she does like um white tanning." And I was like, to me, white tanning means skin bleaching, which is a whole problem in itself. That is, a, yeah, it's a big issue within like the black community. And anyways, and she was like, was like yeah, so it's to, make, it's to make people that are like really dark into like a nice golden color. And I was like, that's such an awkward, uncomfortable thing to say. Cause you're saying that if you're black, you're, you're essentially ugly and that you should all like, like want to be this golden color yeah to be this golden color because black is bad and it was like reiterating this this sort of stereotype and like the two microaggressions that are there is a that that like i must like i get this all the time it's like oh yeah you look exactly like leona lewis or oh yeah like like is is i don't know x like mixed race girl on the island is that your sister oh yeah yeah i did that we all look the same and then the next one is is that like um is that like black is bad and then being like like golden color is fine but there's there's like a scale of how black is good and how yeah that it's like I, I often get like I often get comments which are basically just like so people will say to me like oh for the listener I normally have like afro curly type of hair um but I often get comments was like wow you would look so much prettier if your hair was straight or I like, I always get comments that say like, oh, I would love to have kids that look like you, except with straight hair and with blue eyes and maybe their skin just like a little bit paler. And I'm like, That's how, not how was that ever intended? Like there's this feeling like with microaggressions, like especially when it comes to things down to like hair, facial features. Cause again, like I've had things like, I had a comment once from this like elderly woman that was like oh you're very lucky to have got um your dad's nose and I was like what even is that supposed to mean like um because again for the listener I'm mixed race so my mum is black and my dad is white and they were saying like oh you're very lucky that you picked up on your dad's facial features it would have been so unfortunate if you inherited your mum's and I was like it's just these things where it's like um conforming to the western beauty standards so that like we should be nice and pale and have like the blue eyes and the straight hair and the you know, like the thin nose and blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just, yeah. it's so yeah. bizarre. And like, I think yeah. what we spoke about today, because um, Jordan, another member of our group and I, we went to a Castle Russian assembly today. Um, and we use the example of like, so someone saying to me like, wow, you're so pretty, but you'd look so much better if your hair was straight. Like to them, that's a compliment because they've called me pretty. But then there's that like massive, like backhand of just, yeah yeah but, looks, like, yeah. But, but, but like the thing that your blackness in you like that needs to go and then you'd be perfect 
Oh God, yeah. That, like, literally, you're pretty like for a someone. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. pretty yeah. for a black girl. Like, um, so one of the <laughs> things that I get quite often, and like I know my brother gets as well, um, is the immediate assumption that we're not from the Isle of Man. So we always get like one of the first questions is when, um, so how long have you been here? And when I say 2001, they're like, oh, okay, what made you move here then? Um, and I'm like, I had no choice. Like I was a kid um, and I always get a surprise look when I speak. So people assume that I don't speak English or I'm going to have an accent that's not a British accent or um, an accent that they can understand. I get called wor- I get called the word exotic a lot as well, which I think yeah. people think is a really like endearing term they're like you have such exotic features and i'm like i'm not a mango i don't know I said, i'm not a piece of fruit like i'm a no, person I, do. I get i get that a lot like wow you're so exotic and i'm like i know what what did, what did you, i'm from I derby know. in england like <laughs> what did you want from I'm, me i'm a bloody agnish like <laughs> <laughs> don't know how exotic that is but now it's so annoying like i'm so going back to like the, the Islamic center, there was like a load of vile comments. I ended up getting involved because- Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> and, and someone was like, that's rich coming from you soon as you've chosen to live here. And I was like, yeah. why would you assume that I'm not from here, pray tell? <laughs> so it a massive hole. But yeah, no, the question would be like, yeah, but where are you really from? And yeah, and like, yeah. honestly, like, of all the airports in the world that I've been to, the Isle of Man airport is the one where I get checked the most. Guaranteed. I get checked the most. I've never been through the Isle of Man airport. I've never been through any airport and not got randomly selected. No. So, actually, that's a lie. I've been through Birmingham once and I haven't been ran- randomly selected. And that was like a momentous occasion in my life because I was like, I didn't have to get searched. This is amazing. Well, yeah. Well, that's, that's obviously like a question that we could pose to you two, like um, Matt and Martin. Like anytime... Could you, can you imagine, like, if you didn't get checked in an airport and that was a celebration for you? It's not just like, oh, yeah. I can go have more time to, like, go sit and get a drink. Like, that's literally, like, no, wow, like, I was not yeah. seen as suspicious. You know, you're there, like, an hour and a half, like, before, like, you're the hour and a half that you're supposed to be. Literally. Yeah. Oh, I remember, yeah. like, one time, I was with my, so my dad's got dreadlocks. I remember one time we were traveling. Uh, well, all the time we get, we travel, he always, always gets stopped, always gets checked for, for drugs, every single time. But one time... He got stopped for two hours, literally two hours. They put us all in individual rooms, asked us all questions, checked where we were all from. Like, I didn't know whether they'd say I was from the Isle of Man or Britain, so I got really confused. Then my mom had like these like white mints in her bag. She had like this little box of white mints. And that just started a whole other conversation. <laughs> this never dogs was out, we're on us again, other end this, but it's like, it's well, that, a common yeah. thing. I was going to say, and it, it brings back to Martin's examples before. Yeah. The privilege of, like you just said there, Catherine, it's something that I've never thought of, rightly or wrongly, never happened. Yeah. It's not something that in my daily, well, not that I go to the airport every day, but every time yeah. you go through there, it, it never occurred to me, anything like yeah. that. And it's just... Like my, my partner doesn't so my partner is um mixed race um and when he's walking like when he's traveling he's quite a nervous flyer and like a nervous traveler anyway and obviously 
the stereotyping doesn't help his situation um and he is most comfortable in a hoodie but he hates wearing a hoodie when he's traveling because it just be, like he's oh, noticed so when he questions. wears yeah when he wears a hoodie he's noticed that he gets stopped more than when he doesn't wear a hoodie and like if his hair is messy like if he doesn't um cut his hair or like in his words he's like oh my hair's grown and I'm like it's not messy it's just long like it's fine but even him like throughout his upbringing and throughout just the way that the world is even he says his hair as messy when it's long you know not it's just just, long I was just thinking about that and I because Elsa and I for the listener again both have afro textured hair Elsa do you ever have your hair checked when you go through security yeah (laughs) do you know how many times I've had my hair checked like it's like they always get the thing up here and it's like why why am I gonna I, I've had like I've had like men men and women literally just like shove their hands into my hair like and yeah they they always say like oh can I check you and I'm like yeah that's fine and the next day I know I just have like both their hands in my hair and I'm like what is happening here? Oh, like yeah. yeah. The full body check. <laughs> that's <laughs> So to, to pick up on the, you mentioned earlier, Catherine, the, 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 the terms that you've kindly shared with us, a couple of the others I'd just like to chat about. When one of them's here, it's, it's casual racism. We've talked mm-hmm. about some instances. Are they the type of instances where they're, used the word, they think it's a backhanded compliment, but ultimately there's casual yeah. racism there. Yeah. yeah, and then I think like, so obviously microgre- microaggressions are definitely sort of a type of casual racism because they're seen, perceived as some sort of compliment or very lighthearted, comment but they're like not banter. yeah yeah and then i think the other things that constitute as casual racism are just like you know like the jokes that you hear around the office or the yeah like just like jokes and slurs and just I, stereotypes i do not do brad say that i mean I, I think there's a lot of that goes on and because I don't oh think people, yeah people appreciate uh appreciate that yeah I use the word micro because it's but it's yeah i think it, yeah I think it's like it's such a it's such just a minute not seen thing, by white people yeah so precisely accepted. i think it's just being made acceptable yeah yeah well, i presume that's almost you know again you observe of how the situation moved forward that that seems like a generational thing that's going to take generations to disappear oh, yeah uh, yeah definitely because because what we're seeing way. in schools is that it's happening in schools already with young kids um, and they're obviously learning, you know, having these things because we were in um, a school doing a presentation and one of the teachers came up to us and said, oh, you know, this year group in particular, like we've had a few incidences where people have said something that um, was racial slurs or had jokes about race or racism, uh, like joked about racism, but they've just gone on. It's like it's banter. Like I'm not going to um, I didn't mean anything by it. And to be able and to see it at that young age. Um, just already being part of society and just being like, oh, my kid didn't mean anything by it or I didn't mean anything by it. I was just having a joke, having a laugh. Um, you know, we're already seeing that in kids. So we'd, we don't know how long that's going to take to kind of get it out of society. Yeah. My friend had a really good analogy where like racism, racism in everyday life is as if you're plaiting, you're plaiting hair. So you're like obviously doing the strands, strands, strands. And then like, so say for like a middle-aged man they literally get like 50 years into this plaque yeah. and it's like hang on like what you learned back when you were five you got undo that plaque and redo it all again and it's like 
the effort that it takes to undo the plat, to even convince the person at first to undo the plat, and then to actually go back and redo it the right way. Like, and again, like with kids, like, because I read this fact the other day when we were learning, uh, because we've done a couple of, well, we've done one assembly in a primary school and we've got a couple more coming up. I was reading about like how to talk to racism about children. And I read this fact that said children internalize racial bias by the time that they're four years old, which is reception in primary school. So like by the time a kid literally goes into primary school on their first day, they already hold like racial bias, which is obviously like no fault of the kids own. It's like, like you said, uh, Martin, like media, when it says like black man injures, blah, blah, blah. Or like, it's all these little things that you see that, influence that but I think it is so scary because it like what we're kind of seeing in schools now it's just sad because I mean I left school four years ago I think Geordie said today that he left school 10 years ago yeah and no, like nothing's changed nothing's changed I mean in terms of the actual like visually things have changed um, oh yeah so in terms of seeing more diverse schools more diverse classrooms and year groups um that's changed but in how things are handled and it's really interesting um when you kind of go into schools and you're you're talking about these things and I've picked up on um kids that are um people of color and they kind of they're talking about it and like you can see it resonate with them and I find that so I'm so glad that um this group um exists because when we were in school we didn't have anything like that but it also breaks my heart so much to know that kids are still going through this every single day and they're still not feeling like they could have said anything to anyone and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to carry on going with this group and keep pushing it and um you know develop it into a a proper you know legal entity and be able to have it as a charity so that people do have a safe space to be able to talk about these issues and if anyone is going through it um they can talk to us and also if anyone has any questions or like wants to educate themselves more um we're happy to give a starting point we obviously can't do all the work for you or we can't give you all of all of the information that's up to up to the person that wants to learn but we're very keen to be able to give people a starting point and to be able to give people particularly on the Isle of Man and be able to bring it back to locally what's happening like these are people that are living in our society there are people that are going to our schools they're growing up they are growing up as Manx residents they are growing up as people of the Isle of Man um, and they want to be proud of that and to just have that space I think is so important definitely more the a couple of other a couple of other kind of terms I just want to dig into yeah. one I read about which wasn't on the list there and I, I, I didn't understand it to be honest hence the question they called it racial gaslighting mm. so oh up. yeah so these are kind of the comments um where so things like so let's say that like me and you are having a conversation and I vent to you like a big racist incident that happened to me like okay so like so for example uh when I was in year three at primary school like that was the first time I got called a monkey by like some year year six boys like I was playing in the playground had a my hula hoop like skimmed off it was an orange hula hoop like literally remember it so well like skimmed off and like knocked this boy on the ankle and I kind of like ran over to get it and he was like you're not having this back and I was like oh okay um then he was like yeah run away you little monkey and then like they all like made monkey noises after me so it'd be like me like telling you that story and then you being like oh well personally I don't see color like or, or that, wasn't, yeah. well, that wasn't like a racist thing it was just because you were like jumping around like a monkey yeah it's, not racist. Yeah. Like, it's so kind of things that 
that dampen the experience so like when i like it's more so when it's like a big racial thing and then it's these things are like well i don't see it like that that's not how i perceive it i'm sure that's not what they meant when like mm. yeah yeah a chip on your shoulder is that it's like oh you've got a chip on your shoulder yeah pulling the race card it's those sort of situations it's like it's diminishing what we've said and it's it's ignoring like the issue that we've had and be like oh no like like you're making too big a deal out of it calm down that's that's racial gaslighting for me and and the other one i want to touch on and i I want to read a a little bit of excuse me of an article again is uh uh, structural, structural, structural racism built within the society. So, I found an article from Pinson, who are, who are lawyers in in the UK, and they they wrote an article around racism in the in the in business and and within the structural, you know, society. So, if I just mm-hmm. says it says, uh, uh, let me see where I can start here. Uh, so, it talks about. Uh, white Caucasian people in Western societies enjoy benefits of capital, class, and culture not available to pe- people of eth- other ethnicities. Uh, this is structural racism. Uh, this means that they have a much better life outcomes. They are richer, stay educated longer, live longer, and are less likely to enter the criminal justice system. In the in in the UK, for example, Black Caribbean people are three more three times more likely to be in uh, social housing and almost half as likely to own their own home as a British white person. White people are twice as likely to achieve higher A-level grades in England than black people. And black people have double the un- unemployment rate of white people. And those who, ha- do, who ha- do have a job are paid less. So when- Do you want to hear a really interesting fact that I kind of learned about structural racism not long ago that I like never really considered? So I normally live in Loughborough and one of my training partners, his name's Ben Ellis. He um, is dating a black girl. Her name's Annie. She's a lawyer. She's honestly one of the most incredible people that I've ever met. She's so inspirational. And we were like talking because it was all right after the movement and we were talking about this. And I was just saying like structural racism, like kind of how does it work? And she was like, oh, well, here's one example. So if you picture like Elsa mentioned earlier, the Windrush generation. So all of these like, uh, black Caribbean people that came over to England basically they were, they were like begged please come to England and help rebuild the country after the war and then when they got here they were like just treated shocking and the, the pay was awful and everything and she was saying so think of like I don't know how many for example think of your great-great-grandma who worked in the NHS and got paid pennies and then think of your white friend's great-great-grandma that worked in like an office and she was on this big thing big pension and she was like, when both of those great grand- grandmas died, like your black great grandma would have had nothing to pass down, like financial wise yeah. to, to the next person. Whereas the white lady that died has a pension, has, you know, like funds left behind for the extended family. And she was saying, so like, that's why now, like white people often have, like from an econo- economical side of it, white people often have these big backings of funding behind them because years and years ago, the system did not treat like black and people of color people well enough for them even to have like they like couldn't enough even to live afford, on. like you know like they yeah they didn't have enough to live on let alone think oh i can put something something aside for like my grandchildren and i mm. thought that was really interesting about structural racism was just like it comes that's, from so far back like that's the exact reason why i read it because when i when i uh when I read that article, that's the thing. Exactly what struck struck out at me that that that, that, that those issues are 
still here today, but they're born out of the legacy that people need to fully understand. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Great a white point. person and a black person is both, both born. There's no reason uh, either one should be a criminal or not, depending on yeah. what color their skin is. It's because in, cause economically they've been so suppressed historically that they're, yeah. they're way down that ladder of economic stance. So they're always yeah. behind anyway. And uh, I think... Or for me, I found when I'm kind of learning about that, that this is, it's a legacy issue, but it doesn't mean, oh, it was a problem of the past. The reality is it's still going on now and that level. The effects are still happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So one of the other like structural racism things that that I think of is when I remember when I was growing up and my parents always said to me, oh, you know, like, we don't care what you and your brother go and study, but just go to university. And me and like, they were like, just, you know, go to university, get an education. And for me and my brother, we were like, why? Like, we don't understand. Um, and eventually we did, like, we both, like, we both went. So I went and did biomedical science. My brother did law. Um, like, I'm a scientist. He's a lawyer. We, we had, we did go and study. We did go and get an education. Um, but what was really interesting for me was that when I was kind of growing up and like in sick form or when I was growing up um, and I was in university was that a lot of my friends that were white had parents that had been to university um, and the the percentage of people had parents that had been to university so when going through university and when going through the education system they had like their parents had been to university their grandparents had been to university um and again this put this kind of feeds into the um structural racism so my parents couldn't go to university because um of the way that institutionalized and structural racism happened in south africa and then a lot of my friends that were um people of color they were first generation people to go to university so they were the first person in their family to you know carry on education after high school or stuff like that um and I found that really really interesting because I was like you know my parents really wanted it for me but I couldn't go back and ask them like what did you do at university when you did this or what was your university experience like like for them they were going through university with me for the first time they were going through university with my brother for the first time they had never experienced that and a lot of my friends who were white their parents were like oh yeah my uni days we did this and like I remember like going on like speaking to friends and then being like oh yeah my parents showed me like where they lived when they went to uni or like what they did when they went to uni and that you know is again an economical thing because people can't always afford to it but but the point that I, I'm trying to say is that the the divide between my friends was it was very apparent that people um my friends that were people of color would tended to be like first generation going to university and like having that experience and kind of carrying um the family along with them along that experience as well um and i remember i think it was joel who's another member of the group and he was saying so coming back to one of the points that elsa was making about um like black people can't swim and he was saying that actually one of the reasons that that exists was because like the schools that um so when segregation was abolished or, well, well, no, when segregation was still happening in America, um, obviously the schools that they went to didn't have enough funding to be able to go to, to have things like swimming pools and therefore the yeah. um, black population in America 
they just didn't learn how to swim because they couldn't do it at school or they didn't have the finances to be able to do it. And therefore it became this kind of myth that black people just don't know how to swim, but it's not true. They just were never taught and like their parents weren't taught and their grandparents weren't taught. And it goes back so far, so far and so many generations that it's once you start getting into it, you could be there forever just trying to go through what's happened. That's what I learned. And that's why at the start, I kind of felt I need just some context of the backstory and the background yeah. because it sets that scene. It's that understanding that, uh, and also we can't look back and go, what was the problem 20 years, 50 years ago, 60 years ago? It's not today yeah. because the, the, the results of today are, are because of that. And we, you know, as a world, we need to understand that yeah, well, and appreciate that we need to fix that. Yeah, I think elsewhere, I feel like you're a pro on this fact, so you will be able to correct me. But was it <laughs> last year, 2019, was when the British government stopped paying previous... Yeah, go tell the fact, Elsa. You know, I don't. So, yeah, it, was, it was in 2015 that we stopped paying slave owners. Compensation. But, yeah, compensation for for the ending of slavery making slavery i think it was i think it was loss of property yeah it was loss of property loss of property that the uk stopped paying compensation for we were paying back slave owners up until um Mm -hmm. 2015 for their loss of property so like the 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 freed slaves and their their children and their children's children have all paid tax to like essentially have paid for their own freedom up until 2015. It's a little hidden fact that, um, yeah. It's just mind-blowing though, isn't it? It's mind-blowing. Yeah, Yeah. but um, going back to the university thing, also one thing that sets people back is the fact that lots of of degrees, if you get a degree outside of Europe, Mm -hmm. they're not seen as as good. good enough. So lots of people that come to England, come to Europe, they already have degrees, they already have masters, they're already very, very well educated, yet their degrees aren't, aren't recognised in, in the UK or in Europe as, as valuable degrees, looking at like, basically it's looking at like, like the idea that, that like Europe's on a pedestal and everywhere else is beneath it, which definitely is not true. Um, but that also puts people like first generation, second generation, um, communities at a hindrance because they're not allowed the jobs that they are qualified to do yeah because their their degree isn't recognized like i know someone that is on the isle of man and she i can't remember what country um she was born in or where she studied but Mm -hmm. in the country in her home country or the country she was born in or where she studied um she was a qualified dentist and over here she can't even work like in a pharmacy mm-hmm. wow like they've just said it doesn't count it's yeah. actually do it all again actually which is insane if you think about the fact that she's like if someone's a dentist you're like oh my gosh you went through university you did this yeah. you learned this you're yeah. a very you know particular type of qualified <laughs> uh, professional but for her to go from being a dentist and then you know, the, the government going, no, sorry, we don't accept <laughs> Just it. imagining the government being like, yeah, the teeth over here are different. You can't, like, yeah, like, you can't, can't do, do it. <laughs> but now, I work as like a, a tour leader um, most of the time around like Europe. And, and so I spend lots of time by the Eiffel Tower. And by the Eiffel Tower, there are lots of people selling like key rings and 
there's lots of, like Senegalese people selling like key rings and stuff. Yeah. And I get chatting to them because I'm there like every day. And they're like, yeah, like I've got a master's in law. I've got, I'm, I'm like a medic, but I can't get a job here because they just won't accept my degree. And mm. I was thinking it's such a waste because there's such talent and we need, we're lacking doctors. We're lacking, we're lacking people in healthcare. We're lacking. I mean, even if you just go on the job websites now and you have a look at how many vacancies there are available for, you know, bank nurses, um, bank medics, locum doctors, um, locum physiotherapists, psychologists, just on the Isle of Man. Um, And there's probably people out there that have those qualifications from different countries um and and, you know there'll be people that will argue that the quality isn't the same and it's not but then you also have people that will travel to like turkey to get their teeth done um but a turkish degree wouldn't be accepted in the uk (laughs) which is insane like yeah Yeah, my best friend is from brazil and he is literally one of the most well-read well-educated people i know um he's a lawyer but i know that his degree wouldn't be wouldn't be recognized in the uk even though he's he's like super super intelligent he's self-taught english he's incredibly clever but his degree simply is not recognized in in the uk because it's foreign (laughs) it's not european right so I suppose and I had kind of two final questions which kind of really roll into one and i think we kind of half covered them i guess which was you know what happens going forward and I guess and the POC group and I guess they ultimately come together about what we talked about at the beginning which is I'd I'd like to think helpful constructive conversations like this and that continued education that you you were doing in the community at the moment yeah Yeah, definitely like our our aspirations as a group like um as um Habsa mentioned earlier like we're trying to get established as a charity so we can kind of do a bit more and you know be like a legit a legitimate thing because at the moment we kind of appreciate that we are just like a bunch of like an organization like knocking about being like listen to us so like as soon as we're a charity obviously we've got a bit more backing behind us a bit more legitimacy behind us but we just like it's we just want to educate people about the topic because as we've established like from us talking about the experiences that we've had like people think that racism is so foreign they think like it can't happen on the isle of man the isle of man's such a good place we are welcome to everyone but like it really does so like from our point it's just like we want to educate people do what we we're doing today as you said martin like it's an uncomfortable conversation but like i'd like to think that we've all learned a lot and like it's opened our eyes a bit more and like i find that like every time i have one of these uncomfortable conversations i want to go away and like learn more about certain things so we just want to encourage that definitely um yeah and i think what's really important as well is that we don't we don't just see it as a point where um as a group or um like as poc iom we're teaching people we're also learning a lot as we go through it so if i think about how much um i've learned along this journey with being in the group it's absolutely incredible like i've learned so much about um history that i didn't even I didn't even know stuff that I've learned about history on the Isle of Man, um, history further afield. I've kind of learned more about it along the journey as well. And I think that that's really important because people sometimes think that we have all the answers and we really don't. Um, A lot of what we say has come from personal experiences, but a lot of our personal experiences have led to us trying to figure out why that's happened and then doing a bunch of research after that so Mm. 
things that we've been through in, um, in our life. And, and I think one of the most powerful ways to try and get a message across, <coughs> sorry, is through lived experiences. Yeah. But lived experiences are not going to explain all of, you know, the other stuff we were talking about, the structural racism, that, that needs to come from people doing their research. And that includes POC IOM, that includes us as well like making sure we do our research and we understand where it's come from or why it's like that. Cause it can be very frustrating to, to know that, you know, this is how it works or this is how racism works, but to not understand why it's like that is infuriating. Yeah. 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 Education, isn't it? And it's been nice, like talking to like other members of like the, the community of like people of different like cultures and races yeah. and the other one as well. Cause I think, that's one of the great things about about us as a group is that we don't want to be like it's our way or the highway no we want like to learn from other people too so i think basically our main aim is just to to like learn and and create a space where people can learn about race and learn about different communities and kind of like unlearn all the stuff that we have been taught in the past and kind of like do those braids exactly and kind of like change the rhetoric about other communities and kind of like change the dialogue upgrade it a little bit yeah. and make the word racism not like as yeah. much of an attack i think yeah. people once you hear the word racism people i think get really defensive and start going i'm not racist or i'm not you know i'm not a bad person therefore i'm not racist and um, but it's not about that it's about talking about situations that um you can't understand because you wouldn't have lived in it or lived through it and it's the mm-hmm. same so i won't understand um the challenges that someone who was blind had because I've not been blind. So I would need to put myself in that person's shoes to yeah. be able to say, well, oh, you know what, actually maybe in, if we're, if I'm posting on social media, I should have, um, you know, voices that are saying what's happening in the picture or I, you know, I, I haven't experienced that. So I need to take myself out of my comfort zone and out of yeah. any prejudices that I might have or biases that I might have and put myself into that person's life and their shoes and be able to see it from that point of view there's a great um there's a great analogy in the book why I'm no longer talking to white people about race the author's called um Rennie Edo Lodge and she explains that like so there was a period of time where she like worked just outside of London and she couldn't afford to commute all the way in so what she used to do is she'd like cycle the first half and then get tubes the second half and she says in the book like it wasn't until I had my bike with me that I realized how inaccessible tubes and trains are tubes and trains are for people that would say be in a wheelchair or have a pram or have a mobility issue um and she was saying like it took me to like kind of almost be in their shoes to realize their issues and I think that's like a perfect way of putting what Hafsa yeah. said is yeah. yeah like it's just it, I don't even want to say like it's unfortunate that you can't walk in our shoes because I wouldn't wish racism on anyone but it's like one of those things where it's like I think people don't appreciate the the force of it because they can't go through it. Um, so yeah, definitely. That's the white privilege comment. Oh, yeah, thing. yeah. The uh, that book I've I've seen that book come up in a few in a few of the articles I've read about uh, as a. We book have a copy me. if you'd like to borrow it. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, we we've got a spare copy. So people that want to reach out, I mean, we'll add him in the footnotes. But you're on all social media channels, or the group yeah. is. Yeah, so our Instagram and Twitter is at POC underscore IOM. And our Facebook, if you just type in POC IOM, you'll find us. And then our website is POC IOM dot IM. IM. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us today. I've found it amazingly interesting. 
again, as I say, I'm on, I'm on an education myself. I've learned stuff uh, that, again, questions the way I act and do things. I think that's the part part of what, what's happening is educating myself. And hopefully some people have picked up from that. And I'm, I'm sure you've had a similar experience, Matt. Yeah, no, um, it's exactly why we're, we're here talking uh, right now is both Martin and I, as we have said, we're, we're here to educate ourselves and hopefully the, li- the listeners as well, encourage them to not accept things as they are, to go out, to learn, to listen, to talk to people and, and understand what, what is really going on. And I think the comment you made before as well about you're on that journey as well, I think that's quite refreshing yeah. in the sense of, again, sometimes people's perceptions of there's just opinions coming one way. And, and again, people go into this defensive mode. There seems to be quite a lot of that going on where, where it's, no, we're all here to, to learn and help. And I think that's a, a really interesting approach. As yeah, well. it's so funny because when we first like formed as a group, like we literally have this document that says like strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and, like, strengths and yeah, weaknesses. Yeah, our names. And like, I know under my name, weakness is like public speaking and talking about the history of racism. And I feel and like literally. now we would... We'd probably all go back and look at that doc and be like, like uh, okay, we need to change this. <laughs> like, this now, yeah. Completely yeah, it's such a learning journey for us as well, because I think it's easy to think that, you know, like, oh, they must be experts in the topic. Like, we're really not. Like, we're literally every day we learn something new. Like, every conversation that we have with someone, it makes us go away and think about things a little bit differently. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I but thank you very much for having us on today. We really no, appreciate it. No, absolute pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Yeah. Appreciate the time. Do you want to check us out, Matt? Yeah. Uh, so wherever you're listening to us today, please like, share, subscribe, and leave those five-star reviews. Pretty please. On social media, Facebook, we're the M-Word Podcast. Twitter, we are now M-Word Podcast with a number one after. Did remember that, Martin. And on Instagram, we are the M-Word IOM. Great. Thanks, Matt. And thanks for listening, everyone. It's Word Out from Martin. And went out from that. The driver noted that the front of the bus was filled with white passengers and there would be two or three men standing. He looked back and asked that the seat where I had taken, along with three other persons, one in the seat with me and two across the aisle was seated. He demanded the seat that we were occupying. The other passengers very reluctantly gave up their seats, but I refused to do so. He then called the officers of the law. They came and placed me under arrest, and I was bond bailed out shortly after the arrest. And the trial was held December 5th on the next Monday, and the protests began from that day and it is still continuing.